Before we look at today's sermon, I want to give a little pitch for next week's sermon and invite you to come back. We are beginning a new series next week. And, you know, a lot of times preachers embellish things. We exaggerate things for, uh, well, for impact's sake. But I have to tell you, I'm not embellishing this. I don't know that I have ever preached a more important sermon series than the one that we're getting ready to start next week. The series is called How to Talk to God, and it's about getting prayer right. And next week, we're specifically going to be answering the question, if God knows everything... Why should we pray? Have you ever thought that before? If God is all-knowing, if God knows everything, why do we need to pray? We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be looking at a framework that the Word of God gives to us for how to pray better. So if you've ever wondered, how can I pray? How can I pray better? Listen, don't be embarrassed, first of all. Because oftentimes, even with people, we struggle with how do I talk to that person? How do I connect with that person? How do I have a conversation with that person? Certainly with Almighty God, we could feel that way as well. We want to help you. Would you come and journey with us as we all learn to talk to God a little bit better? That's next week. But this week, we're looking at, if you have your sheet in front of you, your notes in front of you, you see that the title is The Scandal of the Empty Tomb. Here's the thing. Everybody loves a scandal. And probably if you watch television shows or if you watch movies or in your own life, if you watch uh, media outlets or you get notifications on your phone, probably your notifications ding, probably you're watching something uh, on your whatever it is that you watch shows on that have to do with scandal. Everybody loves a scandal. Ooh, he said what? She did what? And then what happened? And we are so enamored with scandal. Why is that? Why is it that we can't pull away from scandal? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. And then we are going to be confronted with the idea that the empty tomb presents scandals for us. Now, I know that we've been celebrating. I know that we've been rejoicing. I know that we've been singing these powerful, awesome songs about how awesome it is that the the tomb is empty. But I also want to be real with you. And I think that you appreciate that. Uh, about the fellowship. We're just real people talk about real things. The empty tomb and the Jesus who walked out of the empty tomb scandalizes us uh, with his authority and power. We'll talk about that. But why are we enamored with scandal? Well, I think one of the reasons is a lot of us, we're adrenaline junkies. We love the excitement of something crazy happening around us. And as it relates to human beings, anytime there's a scandal, we are just like so fixated on that because we love adrenaline things. Why else would anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane other than they're an adrenaline junkie? Or why would you jump off a platform tethered to this glorified rubber band called bungee jumping because you want adrenaline rush. I think sometimes we are enamored with scandals because it gives us an adrenaline rush and we love that excitement. I think another reason that we're enamored with scandals is because it gives us a distraction from our life. Listen, if you're like me, you have problems and you have drama in your life and you have important things going on in your life. And listen, if you can just distract yourself from your life for even 30 minute show just to be enamored with somebody else's scandal, then you'll do it because it's a great distraction for you. Another reason that we're enamored with scandal is because when we stop and we compare our lives 
to the people involved in the scandal, we don't feel so bad. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? You, you look at somebody and you go, ooh, I know my life is bad. I know I made some choices, but compared to that person, I'm doing really well. Have you ever done that before? We are enamored with scandal. Now, if you have Acts chapter 9, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at some scandals. What I want you to understand as we wade into that is this really important truth. In fact, I think it's written on your notes this morning. The the empty tomb presents us with age-defying scandals. What that means is that it wasn't just true for the people who experienced it in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was resurrected, in the Gospels. It isn't just a scandal that related to them. I believe, and I want to share with you this morning why I believe this, that the empty tomb and the Jesus who made it empty creates a scandal for us in the here and now as well. These are age-defying scandals that demand our energy and our attention and ultimately our response. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, if you're open to Acts chapter 9, I want you to stay there. Because the first scandal that we're going to be looking at this morning as it relates to the empty tomb is not found in Acts chapter 9. Instead, it's found in Matthew chapter 28. This is perhaps the most famous scandal relating to the empty tomb. And if you're making notes this morning on your note sheet, would you write down the scandal of the cover-up? I wanted to look at the scandal of the cover-up this morning. And then we're going to look in Acts chapter 9. We're going to discover that the resurrected Jesus created scandal in his own way. But let's look in Matthew chapter 28. If, if you had a hard time finding Acts 9 and you're new to the Christian faith and you don't find passages in the Bible very well, just stay right where you're at. I'm going to read the whole scripture. Now, this is what's happened. Now, Jesus has been crucified, and he is laying in the tomb. And on the third day, this is the story of him being resurrected. This is the text that says, he is not here. He is risen indeed. This is, this is the event that makes all of Christianity worthwhile. Because if Matthew chapter 28 is false, we're wasting our time right now. Matthew chapter 28 gives the discussion of the resurrection and Jesus has been resurrected in verse four. It says that the the guards saw it and then Jesus says, do not be afraid for I know, uh, I'm sorry, the, the angels say, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Then he says, come and see the place where he lay. And then go and quickly tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see, see, I have told you. Now, the disciples, the, the women run and they go to the disciples. And they declare, they preach the resurrection to the disciples. But what about the guards? You know, there are guards at the tomb as well. And we hear all the time about the ladies who discover the empty tomb and what they did What did the guards do? Well, this is the scandal of the cover-up. I want to share with you uh, in Matthew chapter, if you're making notes, Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. It says, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and they had taken counsel, 
They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. See, because you have to have cash if you're going to have a good scandal, right? There's got to be a payoff. So these authority figures say to the soldiers, they give them a a whole bunch of money, a sufficient sum of money, and they say to them, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him while he was asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, which are like their boss's boss, so if my boss's boss hears about this, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now you have to understand, this is the perfect scandal. It's got money, it's got lies, it's got danger, the perfect scandal. And it's in the New Testament and it continues to be spread today. The disciples stole the body. I don't have time today to talk to you why that is the most unreasonable uh, um, rationale for why the tomb is empty than there could possibly be because the disciples were willing to die for the Christian faith. No one is willing to die for something that they know is a lie. So this, this scandal of cover-up can't possibly be true, but it's there. And it's probably the most well-known scandal, the most well-known cover-up to the empty tomb, to the gospel story that we have today. What I want to do is to encourage you with this, and then we'll look at Acts chapter 9. Because what we have is a group of people, the guards, who are paid to do a job, ultimately fail at doing their job, but nonetheless they're there when the most important moment in history occurs. Now remember I told you at the beginning, uh, sometimes preachers embellish and exaggerate. I'm not exaggerating. I mean to tell you that that empty tomb and the day that Jesus rose from the dead is the most significant, most important day of the entire existence of humanity. And those guards were there. They watched it happen. And then they get paid off and they go perpetuate a lie. Let me turn that into an encouragement for you. Let me turn that into an exhortation for you. And then we'll move on to our second scandal of the morning of the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus. But can I just encourage you? Don't cover up the work that God is doing in you and around you. I mean, what a tragic and sad thing that these guards... I mean, we could say forced. I suppose they had a choice. But either they were forced or they chose to cover up what God was doing. I mean, they had, they had the story on the greatest event in human history. They were there when Jesus walked out of the tomb. And because maybe they were afraid or maybe they were confused or maybe they were greedy and they wanted the money. They covered up what God was doing in them and around them. What a tragedy. May I just say to you as we move on, don't cover up what God is doing in your life. Share it. Don't be like the guards. Be like the women. Go and share what God is doing. It's such a privilege to be able to talk about how God is at work in your life. Uh, Those testimonies were blessings of hearing somebody talk about how God was at work in their life. Don't cover up what God is doing among you. Now, the other two scandals happen at a different place in Scripture and at a different time. What's happened is that Jesus has been crucified. Uh, He's been put in the tomb. 
He's been resurrected. And then what we call in the land of theology, the ascension has happened, which is he has ascended back into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of the father, which doesn't mean that he no longer communicates with people. It just means that his location is no longer on earth. It's in heaven. And what has happened is this is character in the Bible. You may know him as the apostle Paul. Oftentimes he's referred to as Saul. You have to understand that when Christianity started, when Jesus walked out of the tomb and the disciples began to preach that not only is Jesus Lord, but he's conquered death, this guy Saul was against it. And he wasn't just a little bit against it. He was so against it that he actually was having people executed. He was killing people because they were Christians. Now, what we're about to see in the scripture in Acts chapter 9 is the story of a guy who so hated the church and so hated Jesus and so hated Christians, but in one experience with Jesus Christ, his whole life was transformed. He was scandalized in a good way by the grace and the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So I want to read that scripture for us. And then we're going to look at these other two scandals this morning. I'm in Acts chapter 9. First nine verses is what we're going to be focusing on as we look at these next two scandals. It says, but Saul, this is the character that we're looking at this morning, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, So that if he found any belonging to the way, which was another way to say Jesus, anybody belonging to Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he could arrest them, bring them to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. And so Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate or drank. Now, that's a story of a man who was completely against the church, who was persecuting the church, even to the point of putting people to death. In fact, one of the young men that he killed, his name was Stephen. He was one of the early uh, leaders and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see in the scripture, one interaction with Jesus changes his life. Now, this morning, we're interested in the scandal And so I want to share with you two scandals that we find in these nine verses. The first scandal is the scandal of inclusion. If you're making notes this morning, I encourage you to write that down. The scandal of inclusion. And what I mean by that this morning is that they're probably at that time, on that day, on planet Earth, you probably couldn't have found a more violent person towards the church, a a, a more aggressive opponent and enemy of Jesus Christ than Saul. And all of the sudden, 
through the mercy and power of God, he's being included into the kingdom of God. Now, on this side of things, we look at that and celebrate. We go, oh, that's awesome. Saul was converted. He gave his life to Christ. He experienced Jesus. But consider for a moment the family of Stephen. How how might that family have felt? Now, we're just imagining right now, the scripture doesn't say it. We don't know one way or another how the family of Stephen felt when they found out that Saul had been converted to the Christian faith. Remember, Stephen is the person who died at the authority and the request of Saul. So can you imagine getting the news that Saul had been converted to faith? And you're thinking to yourself, wait, what a second, wait a second. Just a couple of weeks ago, he's putting my loved one to death. My dad, my husband, my son, my grandfather. How can he be included into the kingdom of God? That is the scandal of God, is that he loves your enemies as much as he loves you. And the resurrected Jesus is as passionate about reaching people that you would consider an enemy as he was passionate about reaching you. That is truly a scandal of inclusion. Another way that we can look at this as a scandal of inclusion is imagine that you are the church at Damascus. The fellowship, not in Easton, but at Damascus. And you've heard... That uh, Saul is coming to town and he's going to arrest and possibly kill people who are Christians at, at the fellowship in Damascus. And then all of a sudden you hear, no, he's a part of us. He's a brother in faith. He's in the kingdom of God. Now, who would want to be the first person to walk outside of the church building and welcome him in? You see, the scandal of inclusion. The empty tomb is something to celebrate. And the resurrected Jesus is glorious and powerful and, as we sang, worthy. But he scandalizes our minds by including the most violent and vicious opponent to the Christian church in that moment and turned him into an apostle. You may not know this, but this is actually the one who wrote three quarters of the New Testament. That's how powerful of a conversion. So there's a little theological epiphany here that I want to share with you. And this is really important for everybody, but especially important if you're at home online watching or you're here. If, if you struggle with placing your faith in Jesus because you're thinking to yourself, Uh, you don't, Pastor Zach, you don't know what I've done in my life. Well, you're right. I don't know what you've done in your life. But listen to this theological epiphany and let it just wash over you. Here's what Acts 9, 1 through 9 reminds us of. It reminds us, it reminds us that Jesus doesn't run from broken and rebellious people. He runs to them. Let that sink in. You know, oftentimes we think, well, that person is really rebelling against God. God must run from that person when he sees them coming. He or she, complete opposite. Here's a man who was actively seeking to crush the Christian church. And Jesus intercepts him walking down the road. Our resurrected Jesus, who conquered death, 
runs to people who are rebelling against him. Amen? That's good news. So the scandal of inclusion. Again, it's hard for us to feel this scandal very much because we're 2,000 years removed. And we know who the Apostle Paul is. And we know he wrote Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and, and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians. And we know he wrote all of these. And we celebrate that God redeemed his life on the road to Damascus. But if you had been there... The scandal of including him into the kingdom of God would have been large. We have the scandal of the cover-up. We have the scandal of inclusion. The third scandal before we turn to apply these truths to our own life is the scandal of authority. If you're making notes, I encourage you to write that down. The scandal of authority. Now, this is right out of the word of God. Now, Saul is going to Damascus with authority. He himself has authority and he's got letters from the, from the chief priest giving him authority. And he is traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus with about as much authority as a man could possibly have. And all of a sudden he meets Jesus. And in, and in just one brief interaction, we get to verse 6. If you have your Bible, I, I invite you to look back with me in verse 6. I want for us to see... The scandal of authority. Verse 6, Jesus is talking to Saul. And in verse 5, he says, Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in verse 6, here's the scandal of authority. Jesus says to him, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. In a moment, in a moment, Saul lost control of his life. Now here's the point where that really confronts people. To be a citizen in the kingdom of God, to really be a follower of this Jesus who walked out of the tomb, we must, without qualification, accept that he has full authority over our lives. When Saul interacted with the resurrected Jesus, one of the key components of that interaction is that Jesus presumed authority over his life. This man who had so much power, so much authority, and yet in one exchange interaction, one moment with Jesus, and everything changed to the fact and to the point where Jesus says to him, you're going to get up, you're going to go to that city, and you're going to be told what you're going to do. And I got to tell you, it's probably been months and years since somebody said that to Saul. He was in charge where he went, and all of the sudden, He experienced the Jesus that walked out of the tomb and he experienced the scandal of authority. Now we can feel that one a little bit more, can't we? Because we can almost see the application or the implication. And we'll get there, but before we do, I want to ask you to look at your notes and you see that there's a section at the bottom 
that says, because Jesus lives. And if you're new to the fellowship, whether you're online with us or whether you're here in person and you're kind of new to the fellowship, uh, probably what you've discovered so far is that the Bible is important to us. We try to live our life according to the Bible. We try to teach and preach from it. That is our commitment to those who come. But one thing that's really important to us is that we don't just say, here's what the Bible says. We say, okay, here's what the Bible says. How does that apply to my life in 2021 as a student or as a young adult or as a married couple or as a single person or as an entrepreneur or as a career? Like, how does what we just, how do these three scandals relate to my life at all? I want, to, I want for us to look at that this morning before we close. And we've looked at the scandal of the cover-up. We've looked at the scandal of inclusion. We've looked at the scandal of authority. We've seen them as they relate to the empty tomb. And Jesus, the one who made the tomb empty, we understand they're there. We see them. So what? How does that relate to my life? Well, I want to share with you, because Jesus lives, two points of application that we glean from this scripture this morning. The first one is this, because Jesus lives, I am not beyond the reach of God. I want to encourage you with that this morning. You know, you may be here this morning and you might be new to the fellowship or you might not be new to the fellowship. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been here, but you know, on occasions like Christmas and Easter where attendance is a little bit up, usually there's a wide variety of reasons that somebody comes that is not a regular attender here. And all people are welcome. Some people are here because you have a spiritual hunger in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what, on Resurrection Sunday, the world calls it Easter, but on Resurrection Sunday, I want to go to church. I want to sing and pray and think about God and hear from the scripture. And we welcome you. And some of us are here because we really just are trying to make somebody happy. <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody in your family has been begging you to come to church with them. And you're like, okay, I'll go on Easter. And then I'm not coming back again for a while. and Get off my back or whatever. Listen, if that's you, we welcome you. And, and we're glad that you're here. And, and wherever you're at on that spectrum, I have a word for you this morning. You are not beyond the grasp of God. Think about this guy, Saul. If anybody would have been beyond grasp, it would have had to have been him. I mean, this guy is killing the servants of Jesus. He is actively involved in going to the church and crushing it by putting these people in jail. Listen, if there's anybody beyond the reach of God, it's him. And not only is he out, not outside of the reach of God, but in one interaction with Jesus, his whole life changes. So what does this mean for me? It means I'm not beyond the reach of God. And you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. It's probably bad. It's probably horrible. You're probably embarrassed by it and shamed by it. and Maybe you should be. I don't know. I don't know what you've done. But I know what Saul did. And I know that when Jesus 
initiated a conversation with him on the road to Damascus that day. He didn't mention shame. He highlighted his problem. And then he called him into the kingdom. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus says to Saul. Saul is confused. Who who are you, Lord? Maybe that specific question is the, the one scandalizing you right now. You may be seeking God, but that spirit of confusion, like Saul said, Lord, who are you, is where you're at right now. Can I say to you, if that's you, keep searching. Keep asking that question. Because Saul asked it, and he got his answer. So I just want you to know this morning, as we think about the empty tomb and the Jesus who made the tomb empty, and then this resurrected Jesus who's interacting with people in the real world and transforming their life and revolutionizing their life and radically doing something incredible in their life. And the scandal that comes with that, I want to say a word to you. If it could happen for Saul, it can happen to you. Because Jesus lives, you are not out of the grasp of God. The second thing I want to say to you is that because Jesus lives, yieldedness is the only correct response to Jesus. And I know that that's something that some of us may have a really hard time hearing. Because you may have an attitude of life of, I don't yield to anybody. I don't submit to anybody. And I'll just tell you, that's exactly how Saul felt. And he was actively seeking to crush the church with a ton of authority and one interaction with Jesus. And that all changed. He yielded and he submitted. Some of you may be having a hard time yielding to God Not because you're angry at God, but because you're angry at his people. And I just want to plead with you this morning to not project upon to God the anger or the hurt that you have because of somebody's mistreatment of you. They may even claim to have been a Christian. They may have been a Christian and they hurt you. They damaged you somehow. Can I just tell you, can I just tell you that it would be a tragedy if you resisted the lordship of Jesus because of the way a human being treated you? So the the only response for Saul was yieldedness, submission, obedience to this Jesus who had walked out of the tomb. And it says that he couldn't even see, but he just got some assistance and he made his way to Damascus because his life had been transformed and he was on this new trajectory and he was in this new direction of life. And can I just tell you that my greatest hope for you today is that if you've never experienced that before, that you would today, that you would yield to Jesus. I I know that you believe in him. I know you believe in God. I know that you know the gospel story. I know you know the story about the empty tomb, but friend, 
If you haven't yielded to Jesus the way that Saul did, that's your starting point. That's where you entered the kingdom of God. Yield to the Lord Jesus this morning. I plead with you. The way that we're going to end our service today is we're going to sing one more song. There's this, if you grew up in church, you know the song. If this is new stuff for you, can I just, I want to tell you something. We're about to sing a song that is huge. We've been singing it for years. It's called Because He Lives. And uh, we've been singing this song for a long time. And if it's new to you, welcome, welcome to knowing this song. It's awesome. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. There's no better way to end Resurrection Sunday than singing that. But here's what I want to say to you. If you need to come to these altars this morning and kneel and pray and get right with the Lord and yield your life to him, would you do that while we sing? You are free to move and to come forward if you need to while we're singing. Uh, I'm going to be right over here singing. And if you need to talk with me while we're singing, I invite you to move from where you are, come right over here, And say, Pastor Zach, God's doing something in my life. And I don't know what it is, but I need help processing. If God is working in your life, let's pray together while everybody else is singing. You may feel a little embarrassment about moving while people are singing. Listen, everybody here is cheering for you. We want you to respond to what God is doing in your life. So we're, when we start singing, the altars are going to be open. I'm going to be down here. I welcome you to come. We can pray together. If you don't need to do either one of those two things, would you just let all of Bristol County know that we're worshiping Jesus today? Can we just sing as loud as we could possibly sing this awesome song, Because He Lives? Would you stand and let's pray together. Fathers, we close our time together and punctuate it with one more worship song. We feel the weight of your exchange and interaction with Saul. We are mesmerized and enamored with the reality that you include all people, no matter history, no matter background, no matter what we have going on in our present moment even, you will include us in the kingdom of God, not because of our character, but because of your character, not because of our power, but because of your power. We are scandalized, God, by your grace. And Lord, we acknowledge that movement into the kingdom of God is a step of submission and of yieldedness. And I pray for every soul in this room and online with us right now that have never surrendered their life to you, Jesus, that they would make this moment their moment that they not only would do that, but that they would come and let me pray with them. Now we know, God, that is your work and only you can call somebody into your kingdom. But all of your kids in this room right now are praying for you to do that. Hear us, God, as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.